So not too long ago, I held this workshop at WPPI where I gave my top 30 creative strategies to get photography clients as fast as possible without paid ads. And it killed it. It sold out. It was incredible. I've been sitting on it for a little while and I've decided to bring it back, to bring it back and to give it directly to you. You don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to pay anything either. I just want to help you grow your business each day for three days. I'm going to share with you 10 ultra unique creative ways to attract dream clients to your photography business without spending a bunch of money. I'm calling this thing the three day client blitz and it is pure gold for three days. I'm going to give you so many creative ideas to get clients in your business right now. Just go to sixfigurephotography.com forward slash blitz six S I X six figure your photography.com forward slash blitz b l i t z i can't wait to give you some incredible ideas you're listening to the six figure photography podcast where we teach you how to grow your photography business if you need the show notes or want to check out the latest blog posts check out sixfigurephotography.com now here's your host ben hartley go time. We're in episode 58 of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. As always, my name is Ben Hartley, your host. You guys, uh, thank you for joining. Look, um, I'm here in Columbus, Ohio, holding down the fort, running the podcast, but as well running a full-time wedding photography studio called Style and Story Creative. Sometimes I, I, I want to let you guys know that while I'm, um, I'm building the podcast and doing this, we are still full-time wedding photographers over here and loving it. You guys, the entire purpose of the Six Figure Photography Podcast is to help give you guys values, to help you grow your business, to learn from my mistakes, to learn from other people's mistakes, but also other people's wins, right? Uh, and this is why I'm excited about today's episode, because we have somebody with us today who's really had a lifetime of, of, of experience. I mean, maybe a lifetime isn't the, uh, for some of you, it'd be a lifetime, like, but far more experience than I would say maybe a majority of photographers out there, right? He's been, he's been um, photographing most of his entire life and has seen the ebbs and the flows. He's experienced the changes, uh, the continual changes that will come. And so you guys, we have Mark Silber here with us today. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about Mark's incredible journey in this world of photography, how it all started for him. Uh, we're going to be diving into some really great tips that Mark has uh, for how you can stand out from this crowd, from this mass sea of photographers. We're going to be sharing thoughts on, on how you should brand your business and how potential clients uh, can find you more easily in the masses, right? And how important really are your technical skills. I mean, really, we're gonna be diving into some of this stuff. And so, you guys, this is a gem you don't wanna miss. Let's dive in right here, right now. Mark, let's talk to him. Mark Silber, welcome to the SFP Podcast. How are you today, sir? Ben, I'm great. You know, I live in Carmel, California, right on the coast, uh, a couple of miles from where Ansel Adams and Edward Weston were. Amazing. I have no complaints. The coast. Now, did you grow up there? Did you move out there for photography? How did you end up in such a gorgeous location? Good question. And I grew up in the, you know, in the San Francisco Bay Area. Uh, but my family would often trek down the coast here to Carmel and Big Sur. Uh, when I was a kid, we were always 
you know, uh, looking for jade on the Big Sur coast and taking photographs and so on and so forth. I lived here many years ago, and I just kept having this longing to move back. And so in 2015, somehow with smoke and mirrors and magic, managed to make it work. And I've got to say, it's very interesting being in a place like this that's been so heavily populated with different artists and writers and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing. Uh, It inspired me to write my book. So I guess it's working, you know, it must be the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. I can only imagine, like literally the atmosphere. You're literally. so right. Um, let's let's unpack this a little bit. I, I actually want to get back to some of the inspiration side of things. I'm curious. I mean, just being from, like you said, so many, like a hub of, of, of creatives, not just photographers, but artists, writers. Uh, um, I, yeah. I'm interested in how that plays out in seeing your work, both personal and professional. But I'd love to catch up the audience a little bit on your career and sure. how you got to where you are today. Even, even the fact that, you know, that you've written a book, um, on, on photography and just, to, I mean, to see where you are today, I, can we, can we kind of rewind? Uh, I don't know how far back you want to go, Mark. How, yeah, how, far, back? how far back? <laughs> how far back would you like to go today? Let's, let's start. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of skip, uh, through some of this, but you know, my career as a photographer goes back to, really when I was 12 years old. And I went to a very remarkable school in Menlo Park, California, which was a sleepy little town back then. But today it's known as the home of Facebook and Instagram. Not so sleepy anymore. (laughs) Not so sleepy. It is really kind of the center of Silicon Valley. But back then it was just a, you know, a kind of a remote outpost from San Francisco. And I had the good fortune uh, to go to a school that was very oriented towards uh, creativity. And, uh, you know, like most kids back then, I had a little brownie Kodak camera and I would take little snapshots and take them to the drugstore. Mm-hmm. And they were always disappointing. They'd come back and they look muddy. You know, you think you have this wonderful photograph captured and you get it back and it just doesn't look like anything. It's just kind yeah. of mushy mud. You know? so, I absolutely remember those days. Yeah. And so in the seventh grade, my teacher said something like, hey, you know, I'm a photographer, you know, amateur photographer, and I know how to, I could show you how the darkroom works. And my ears just perked up. I went, wow, that sounds cool. You know, and so I experienced the magic of developing my first roll of film, which was cool, but it wasn't until, I'll tell you what, Ben, putting it in the enlarger, printing it, and controlling things like contrast and cropping, and all of a sudden, instead of these tiny little prints, you know, we were printing 5 by 7 and 8 by 10 prints, we were adjusting the contrast, and I was hooked. That was it. That was the exact moment I stepped over the line from a kind of an amateur to, now I am a photographer. I'm going to, and I'll talk about this more later, but... It just all of a sudden, sort of the resonating gong went off, you know, and reverberated through the universe that (laughs) I had stepped into this magical world of uh, creating images that I could control. So from there, believe it or not, I actually 
became a, a little professional photographer in the seventh and eighth grade. Uh, How did that play out? I want to <laughs> tell me more about that. Well, you know, I, I, I just took off and, uh, with very little instruction. So he just showed me, you know, one evening how, how the darkroom worked and it was, it was kind of like from there, I just figured it out. And I ended up, the school had a, an old unused dark room, you know, that had gathered dust and cobwebs and that sort of thing. And I, I remember going in there and dusting off everything and washing the trays and getting this old enlarger to work. And no one else had been using it for years, apparently. So I started using that dark room and then I uh, built a dark room in my, um, parents' house in the laundry room. You <laughs> like ro- <laughs> rotating door and everything? Uh, w- well, no, it had to, it was, you know, we had to black out. There was a big window and a skylight. And so we built um, blackout um, uh, plywood sheets that covered the windows. And, you know, I put a, a board over the washing machine and dryer, and that's where my uh, developing tray and, and uh, uh, stop bath and fixer went. And then there was already a sink there, so that worked. I had a little workbench and put my enlarger on it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was fortunate I had another teacher who was an avid photographer, and he somehow got into the side business. Like today we would see it as like Craigslist or eBay, but this was his own sort of little eBay Craigslist (laughs) side business. What was the guy's name? Yeah. So he just had access to all sorts of equipment and I got it at great prices. I got an, uh, you know, a little enlarger and away I went. So I, you know, I, I just, from there, I was just taking pictures all the time. Eighth grade, especially, I just kind of blossomed. And this school, again, was pretty unusual. One of the things we would do is we would go on uh, week-long field trips. And we happened to trek from uh, the Bay Area down the coast. And, you know, we came here. We came to Carmel and Monterey. We went a little further down the coast to a little town called Morro Bay, which is, by the way, a stone's throw from where Chris Burkhart, if folks out there have followed him on Instagram, and who hasn't? Yeah. Uh, Chris actually lives on the coast over there. Anyway, I captured this uh, one image that has actually become my most uh, number one selling print of all time. I captured <laughs> in the eighth grade. It's and incredible. it's a picture of kids jumping off a sand dune silhouetted and I don't know if we can show it later on your site. Absolutely. We'll we'll get it down the show notes. Yeah, it's in my book and you know it's interesting because I really was being a photographer, not a snapshotter. Mm-hmm. Uh and I talked to my friends about it later and I said, "What was your take on this?" And one of my friends said, "Hey, look, Mark, you know, we were jumping off this sand and all of a sudden you came over and started directing it." And said, okay, I want you over here, I want you there, I want you guys to run and jump. And I got down below them so that they were silhouetted against the setting sun. Uh, It was a perfect silhouette, a perfect arc. I captured it exactly at the right moment because one split second later, the arc would have been gone and that neat arrangement would have just been a chaotic picture. So that's what's known as as the decisive moment. 
sure. as uh, Henry Cartier Bresson named it. Um, and then from there, you know, I just sort of managed to get my photographs here, there, and in, into this, you know, the yearbook on the cover, and this. And I, there was little shows, and I displayed my work, and you know, there I was, a, a, a young entrepreneuring photographer. Amazing. And so then that brought you, so this is eighth grade. So now let's, let's skip ahead, right? Okay. What was, what was like the first, what was the first experience of getting a paid job? And maybe you were in the eighth grade, I, but well, you first maybe proud, like you were like, this is it. Yeah. You know, it, it uh, oddly enough. So again, you know, you got to frame this all that I grew up in the sixties. Uh, and I had a remarkable set of experiences. My sister, my oldest sister, lived in the Haight-Ashbury. She had an apartment there. I was all of uh, just turning 15. <laughs> and she said, hey, I'm going to Mexico. Here's the keys to my apartment. You know, enjoy it. Sounds like uh, a great sister. <laughs> how about that? Now... The San Francisco Recreation Department had a dark room, a facility with maybe 10 enlarging stations in it. Um, they provided all the chemicals and all the, you know, everything you needed. You just brought your own paper. Mm -hmm. And for a dollar a day, you could go in there and stay as long as you wanted. Wow. Uh, so I would go around San Francisco, take photographs, and then I would go into that recreational dark room. And, you know, just to answer your question, I got little jobs. You know, people would say, hey, Mark, uh, you know, I have this display of artwork. Could you come and photograph it? Sure. Why not? And that's kind of how it all began. You know, um, what I've always found is I take I would take any job that was offered because it was always a learning experience. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important that you should never don't turn down any work that comes your way because maybe, oh, you know, that's purely commercial and I, you know, I really want to do artistic, whatever. You know, every one of those jobs taught me something. And sometimes the challenge itself, because you're, you're thrown into unusual circumstances, that's the, that's the real classroom. That's where, you know, the rubber meets the road. Because it's one thing to be in school, in art school, where you have... You know, you have assignments, but it isn't until you get a paid assignment that really y you learn, okay, I got to make this work. Yeah. Everything gotta changes. With, you got to come home with the goods. Yeah. Yeah. Everything changes. Even, even to be fair, the pressure changes, right? And, and what that does to, uh, to your artistic decisions, to those decisive moments, um, is a, is a great learning experience. Mark, at what point did you begin uh, to brand yourself? Or I love the way that you put it in your book. Yeah. At what point did you begin to consider your own visualization as a photographer? You know, that's a good question, Ben. And I'm going to have to sort of pin that down for myself. Do you mind if I back up and sort of, of explain? Yeah, maybe what I, I would love to hear it. Okay. So visualization uh, is really the central hub of my book. And the reason why I chose that is twofold. One, uh, I had stumbled across this term being used by some of the greats of photography. Edward Weston talked about it, Minor White, of course, Ansel Adams. And, you know, here you have these phenomenal photographers and they're saying, look, 
here's what you got to do. Before you press the shutter, you have to visualize it in your mind. Yeah, the pre-visualization. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Before anything happens, and I changed, uh, you know, I prefer visualization rather than pre-visualization. You know, it's a semantic point, but the reason I, I use visualization is that the truth is that visualization follows the entire process or cycle of photography. So the cycle of photography goes like this. First, you you get an idea that you want to photograph. And that could be in any form. You, if you're a wedding photographer, you get a job. So what does a wedding photographer need to do before they even set foot on, you know, wherever they're shooting, whether it's a rehearsal dinner the night before or the preparation or the actual wedding, they need to put together a shot list. Because one thing you cannot do as a wedding photographer is miss the great aunt, the favorite great aunt, and somehow you forgot to take any pictures of her. So you better have her on your shot list. You better find out from the bride and groom all the people that you, you want to cover. And that's, that's your shot list. Mm-hmm. That's a kind of a pre-visualization or visualization right there. You go out, and that's when you're on an assignment. You always have to come home with those specific images. Um, so that's how the cycle of photography begins, with your own visualization. Then you have to know your equipment so well Bob Holmes is a, a phenomenal photographer that I've interviewed many times. And he makes this point over and over again. Don't let the equipment get in the way of your photograph. Yes, 100%. Because, unfortunately, I, f- I find too many people fall into this gear trap of getting so hung up in their gear that they forget it's just a tool. It's just a means to capture that photograph. But you do need to know it so well that it, you're not fumbling around thinking, what F-stop and do, you know, did I, just, did I, do I do auto white balance or what? You, know, you need to have that all dialed in. Yeah, I, I fully believe that the easiest part of any photographic experience that you're having, session, event, uh, whatever it may be, uh, the easiest part should be your equipment, your gear, totally. and your lighting. Totally. Uh, yeah. And can I, I, yeah. I want to, I want to come back to that. I don't want to yeah, interrupt yeah. your story too much, but I want to circle back to that a little bit later. Keep going. Yeah. So, you know, and I think anybody who's been around the block for a while has had those gear failures and those are heartbreaking. Yes. Uh, you know, there's nothing worse than having, boy, an opportunity and somehow your whatever isn't, <laughs> isn't cooperating. <laughs> and that comes back to you as a photographer being fully, fully, fully 100% responsible for everything that goes on. And any mishap, any curveballs, any anything, you, you know, ultimately you're the, you know, you're the producer, the director, the cameraman, all rolled into one. And there's no finger that you can point anywhere but back to yourself. Yep. We actually have uh, written on the wall here at Stone Story Creative, our, our studio here in Columbus, uh, written on the wall is uh, a line. I don't know if anyone else has said this. <laughs> we just came up with it ourselves. Yeah. But uh, if, if the shot is bad, it's your fault. If you missed the shot, it's your fault. If the it, shot's out of focus, it's your fault. It, it doesn't matter it, if someone ran in front of your camera or, or you know, they turned the other way or the light was on the wrong side of the wall, so, you yep. know, quote unquote. If, if you missed the shot, it's your fault. It, uh, and taking ownership of that. Yeah, and, and, you know, kind of going, that's absolutely correct, and taking that a notch or two higher, you know, if you know that you're fully responsible, there's a a great uh, 
freedom that goes along with that. And one of the things, again, Bob Holmes said, is you're responsible for everything within that frame. Now, I come from the old school where we really tried to capture everything in the camera. We did all of our cropping in the camera as much as possible. Mm -hmm. I even went through a phase in art school where you just, nobody cropped anything. You would, you would not only print full frame, but you'd show the edge of the frame, you know, that kind of edgy look. And so all your cropping occurred with your feet, (laughs) which meant if you needed to zoom in, you zoom with your feet. Because we didn't use zoom lenses back then. They were all prime lenses. And, you know, generally you would just go out with one or two lenses and that was it. So if you needed to step, take that one extra step closer, do it. Yeah. So back to this cycle of photography. So we have visualization, now we have learning the camera, knowing it inside out, and then we have processing. In our world today, we have digital processing, which I don't miss the chemicals in the darkroom. I mean, I get nostalgic sometimes, but... Every now and then, do you ever... Uh, so I did some developing as well, and, and every now and then, I'll just be out for a walk, or I'll, I'll go through a hallway of some building, and I'll just... There'll be like this little hint of like this little scent that I, yes. that I pick up and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> the chemicals, the smell. Like, cool? Yes. And I'm always curious. Like I, 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 I actually do want to understand like, what is it that I'm actually smelling so I can, uh, try to pinpoint <laughs> it's, that. that so. I absolutely know what you mean. You know, Ben, I wish I could say I miss it. I am too immersed in the digital world. I, I have a Hasselblad 500C. Uh, I have a Roloflex. I have a Leica. These are all phenomenal cameras. And uh, I hardly ever use them. Yeah. Um, you know, I do have plans to... <laughs> Not to put another darkroom together myself, but I do have somebody who will assist and develop these and then we'll scan them and that sort of thing. Because I still love film. I mean, film is amazing. But in our, you know, our world, I process most everything in Lightroom. I love Lightroom. I've had it since it was in beta. I use Photoshop lots, you know, and Lightroom lets you, of course, go into any other editing mode you need to. Uh, but most of the time I'm, I'm pretty happy with what I can do in Lightroom. Uh, I love the digital flow, the library, keeping things organized. Uh, and you know, I've got a really smooth workflow that, that really works for me. Then the next, the next phase of, of photography is, uh, sharing. And that's kind of where, uh, my discussion today, I think, will mainly go is sharing your work means getting it out into the world. And so answering the question you asked a few minutes ago, so visualization of, uh, of myself as a photographer, what that really means is, you know, at some point, it's important to brand yourself and decide what, sh- what are you primarily representing yourself as as a photographer. And in the book, I give examples of, you know, here's Henry Cartier-Bresson. He took, yes, he took uh, landscapes. Uh, he probably took a lot of other types of photography, but he's primarily known as a street or candid photographer. Mm-hmm. Annie Leibovitz, she, you know, I actually went to art school with her. 
met up with her a few years ago and we had a discussion about this, but you know, she was trying to develop her landscape photography, but you don't, when you think of Annie Leibovitz, what do you think of celebrity photographer? Yeah. Vanity Fair. That's her, right? I mean, she's become probably the most prominent and well-known celebrity photographer and portrait photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, you have uh, Bob Holmes is known for his travel photography, even though he's shot, you know, uh, all sorts of other stuff, weddings and landscapes and that sort of thing. So at some point, and Vermeer, going back to our phenomenal inspiration for lighting, mm. what he was known for is natural everyday light. He used one room in his upstairs uh, house. It was a studio with a north-facing window, and that's what Vermeer lighting is, is is light coming in from one window, hitting your subject, and you basically work with that. So each of these artists undoubtedly at some point decided, okay, what's my brand? And uh, Al Reese, who is a marketing expert that I know, has written a number of really great books, and he defines branding as a brand is a singular singular idea or concept that you own inside the mind of a prospect. And he talks about this in his book, that people's minds are cluttered. You know, we have so much information bombarding us every day. Mm-hmm that we need to have something really clear that represents that brand, or it's just going to go into this mushy clutter. And if you think about the great brands, they have really owned a space in your mind. Apple, you know, you just say the word Apple, you know, you get, uh, initially you get like elegant, usable uh, products, whether it's hardware or software. Mm-hmm. And then maybe you think Apple Music, you know, that basically organized out of this chaos a, you know, usable platform to have your, your, your music stored. But essentially, it's just Steve Jobs worked really hard to create a clear space in, in each of our minds. And uh, Disneyland, you know, you hear the word Disneyland, what do you think? Fun and games and your kids, when your kids grow up and your, your new young twins <laughs> hit, that, <laughs> hit that age, you're going to take them to Disneyland or Disney World. Yeah. So it's like a kid's playground. And the same thing is true for a photographer. There needs to be a brand that you develop. Let's take wedding photography. I mean, how many wedding photographers are there to choose from? There needs to be a distinction in in the in your prospect's mind, and that's really what branding is all about: is differentiation. And I think this is something that so many photographers struggle with. I bet as as even you know you're listening right now, if you're out driving around or you're working out, whatever it may be, and you're listening to this, you're like, yes, but. We're all just wedding photographers, not just that, but we're all just wedding photographers in my city and the competition's so thick and there's more and more photographers every day. And so how, I mean, I get this question all the time, Mark, I'm sure you do too, the pushback of how do you differentiate if, if you're a wedding photographer, what do you do? And so how do you answer that question? How do you begin to separate yourself and your brand? I can only give you, like, I can give you my stories and also the stories I've had the good fortune of having interviewed hundreds of photographers. Let's take Bambi Cantrell, who's one of the big names in wedding photography. Uh, You know, she developed her brand by 
taking a, a field that had been kind of split into two camps. So on one hand, you had, uh, you know, sort of the classical wedding photographer that went out with a shot list and captured all those moments, but rather mechanically. They like brought the backdrop with them. Yeah, exactly. So we're not, we're not looking at all those cool candid moments. We're, we're just seeing, okay, we've recorded and this is like forties and fifties. And this really started to change in the sixties. You know, I think it was the, the Kennedy, Kennedy wedding was as far as I remember was the big turning point in this because all of a sudden candid wedding photographs started showing up up until that time. It was very mechanical. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of like shooting a yearbook or something. Yeah. You know, we've recorded the event. Great. Okay. But what about all those unexpected moments? So here Bambi comes into the scene. I think she really developed that. You have, and the truth is you have to do both. You do have to record every single shot that people are going to want to see in an album. And again, you don't want to miss the great aunt or the, the uncle that you've forgotten about. But then, having gotten those shots, then you go around and get your candid moments. And I think Bambi really excelled at that. Um, She also developed a style because she's a very good communicator. This is the thing. When you work with Bambi, she's she's a hoot. She's hysterical. And uh, you can see on my YouTube channel, I have a couple of videos with her. But what you don't see is behind the scenes we're shooting, and there, that's shown in the, in the video. But she's just getting me to crack up and loosen up, and her goal is to get you to forget about the camera. Yeah. And I would say that more than anything, her brand is built around, look, lots of people can shoot, lots of people have knowledge of cameras, but her brand is built around her personality. Yeah. Yep. The way that she communicates. The way uh, she communicates and her ability to work with people, get them to loosen up and forget about the camera. So that's her branding. It's, you're going to get a natural portrait with her, whether it's a, you know, in the context of a wedding or uh, just a portrait session, you're going to come away looking great and feeling great and really happy that you chose her. Matthew Jordan Smith, another phenomenal photographer, again, mostly known for uh, celebrity photography. I interviewed him as well. And he has a very similar style. And he said, though, here's what I want to capture. This is his brand. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to just look good. I want them to feel good. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. And I asked him, so how do you make them feel good? You know, because that's a great slogan, but how do you do that? And again, he said it comes down to that communication. One of the things that he does on set is he said music plays a huge part in making people feel good. Hmm. He described a uh, celebrity shoot. He actually didn't tell me which celebrity this was, but he said it was getting really tense. And that tension was, of course, interfering with how... He wanted to capture them and how they wanted to be captured. And he looked over at his playlist and put on Aretha Franklin. Um, 
who doesn't, and he said, who doesn't, when they hear Aretha, who doesn't just stand up and start dancing around? <laughs> you know, I would start singing right now, but I think I would just do a, a botch it up. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to restrain myself. But all of a sudden he said it broke the tension and the, the, you know, that feeling good, that feeling of what you want to project yourself into a photograph came out. So those are just some examples. You know, you can look at, um, you know, any of the great photographers, and you can see there was definitely a turning point where they really did brand themselves. And they found that niche that worked for them, and obviously it worked commercially as well. And they just kept uh, developing it. All right, you guys, I, I got to uh, interrupt for a hot second here and just pause to thank uh, one of the big supporters of the SFP podcast, if that's okay. I want to give a big shout out to FreshBooks. So look, the internet has changed everything. You and I are walking examples of this. Like the fact that we are self-employed, uh, that we run our own business, you guys, is is incredible. The ability to be more mobile, more autonomous, uh, more connected. Look, one in three Americans are self-employed. Uh, by 2020, that's probably going to be like 40%. All that to be said, though, the world was not built for self-employment. Like so many institutions, banks, retirements, um, employ- like insurance, my gosh, insurance, accounting, um, it wasn't built for self-employment. And so thankfully, there are other companies that are stepping up to the plate, right? They're stepping up to innovate and to provide a solution uh, for you and I, really, for freelancers, for small business owners. You guys, this is FreshBooks. Fresh FreshBooks has stepped up to the plate to fill this void, to provide this service for you guys. They've got an all-new version. It's been completely redesigned from the ground up, custom-built for exactly the way that you work. This is the simplest way to be more productive, more organized, uh, and I guess most importantly, to, to get paid more quickly, right? It's not just uh, ridiculously easy to use. It has so many features um, for uh, for invoicing, like just to, to create a custom invoice in less than 30 seconds, uh, to get online payments out the door within just a couple of uh, clicks, uh, get paid four days faster. And then a really cool feature too, in regards to these invoices and sending this out is you get to track it. You get to monitor when your client has seen the invoice. uh, And it just really puts an end to that guessing game of when is the money coming in. You guys, FreshBooks is offering a 30 day full free trial to you guys, to the listeners of the SFP audiences. And as I say this, this is a full trial. There's no like limits to it. Uh, Here's what you need to do to claim it. You need to go to freshbooks.com backslash photography and then enter six figure photography, all caps, S I X for six, six figure photography. And the, how did you hear about a section? I'll get links right down below for you guys. Okay. Let's hop back into the interview. Um, Mark, to your, to your point here, I think that what you're talking about is something that has always been true, but I think how much more so in 2017, where the barrier to entry to photography keeps getting lower and lower, not just to enter into it, but to honestly create great work. And I understand that there still is, uh, you know, the decisive moments and the creative composition and all that stuff that goes into it. Yeah. Uh, but with so many photographers entering the field, um, your brand alone, I don't feel like can be completely relied on by your work alone. I think that, um, having great work is like the cost of, of entry. Like people expect our clients expect great work. And so what is going to separate you? Um, if it's not just the fact that your, your photographs are gorgeous, right? Like that's bare minimum. They better be gorgeous. So what, so as everyone else is, what else? 
I'm going to give a piece of advice here that I, I would really recommend. A friend of mine, uh, he was a marketing guru. His name is David Breyer, B-R-I-E-R. You can Google him. And he wrote an ebook that you can download for free called The Lucky Brand. And it has he makes 10 really important points. I'm not going to go over every single one of them, but let me pick a couple. So one of his things is pick one thing and discover how it can be made remarkable. Hmm. You know, I think all too often we're, wow, I got to do this and I got to do that. I got to, you know, dozens of things. Pick one thing and make it remarkable. I gave an example, Bambi Cantrell. Okay, what, what did she do that was remarkable? She had that ability to communicate with people. Yeah, of course she knew her camera, but you're right. In today's world, we're competing against thousands of other people who know their camera. So what is that one thing? And that's a, a point that you have to kind of figure out for yourself. You can look at your own market. Look at where you've had great success. What's the thing that people say about you? Like, Ben, I looked at your, your website, and you have these great quotes from the people that you've, you've worked with. Mm. And that's, that's the material that you want to draw from. What do people say? It's, it's not so much what I think about myself as a brand. It really could be just me thinking this wonderful thought. It's, it's more important what your customers say about you, what your clients say about you. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So I transitioned in 2008, and this is an interesting story, but I transitioned into video production. Now, I came from still photography. I hardly ever used a video camera. Even uh, I, I somehow missed that whole, you know, get your video, your big uh, clumsy camera out and, and shoot videos of your kids. I just shot stills. But in 2008, <laughs> I all of a sudden was thrown into this arena. I created a photography show and knew nothing about video production. Fortunately, I had a really great producer who not only took care of shooting everything, but taught me along the way. He was kind of a Zen master. Look, Mark, he just was open this up in Final Cut, scrub through it, and pick this, pick the cuts you want. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and that was kind of how he he taught me, you know, just like just do it. Um, but I all of a sudden. Uh, it was like a whole new learning experience and, a, and frankly, a new career. And I launched myself into video production and did hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of interview videos, both on my photography side, but also in the commercial side. And what my commercial clients said was they would sit back. So I would go into these experiences, like go to Wall Street and shoot an interview with a, with a prominent CEO for their website. And I did many of those. I did a whole round of those in Silicon Valley, uh, a show that actually was sponsored by the New York Stock Exchange called The Big Startup, where we interviewed many, many, many different CEOs, including uh, Jeremy Stoppelman, who's the CEO of Yelp, and, and lots of other really prominent people. But here's the thing that I quickly discovered. My job in doing this was to put people at ease. Because even more so in video, if they are not at ease, you see it immediately. Yes. And one of my clients said, you know, we watch you go into the room 
where there's a CEO who's not at ease. And before you even get the camera out, you're laughing with them. They're loosened up. So by the time they get on camera, they're, they're, they've forgotten about the camera and they're just talking to you. Mm-hmm. That was a brand that I built. And what's the differentiator? Anybody can show up with a, with a video camera, but how many people can, can get that kind of uh, feeling, again, may, let them feel good, and let them com- be comfortable enough to really open up and say what's going to make it a remarkable interview. So there's just another example of you know how you have to develop that brand. So it's picking one thing and discover how it can be made remarkable. And I, I believe the best way to do that, again, is look at your own work, look at where you've had the greatest success, and try to drill down into it what made that a success, and then really play that up. Double down on that. You know, let people know in your own marketing. Let them know by your testimonials like you did. Show them that. Show them that you are different than the 10,000 other photographers they could choose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, this, the self-awareness aspect of that is great, but self-awareness is a gift that I don't know how many of us are, are completely blessed with. And so I love what you uh, talked about of looking for those consistencies, the similar words, similar patterns that your friends say about you, your family say about you, your clients say about you, uh, and begin to really brainstorm those and even like do a really intentional push and, and ask, actually ask people, but being completely willing and open to accept everything that they say at the same time, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, to not get offended along the way. Because the door goes both ways. But Ben, that, that is something I actually um, did and, and continue to do was I surveyed, I wrote a very simple survey. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like working with me? Uh, were, you know, were there anything's any points that, you know, really stood out, anything that you felt needed improvement. And I surveyed my clients. And so I was getting from them in their own words, what, what was that point of remarkability? And, you know, if there are any points to improve, then I also learned that. And that's something we all have to be able to listen to. You're right. Yeah. And, but from asking those questions, don't assume that, you know, because it really, again, it doesn't matter what we think about our own brand. It's what other people think about it that really does matter. Then you can drill down and find the heart of your brand and then just just develop it. Now, you talked about actually developing an artist statement. And so, Mark, I don't know if we've had this uh, conversation or, or you realize this, but I was actually, um, before stepping into the whole world of photography as a fine art major, I went to art school as an oil painter. So uh-huh. I'm very familiar with the conversation of an artist statement. But I think that for for many photographers, I, I feel like as I, as I kind of have my finger on the pulse of where the industry is at, I don't think many of, uh, many photographers in 2017 really consider, uh, an artist statement. And I think they, they maybe more so consider this as their, as a business, as I'm doing portraits. So what's the right. artist statement of, of doing a family portrait? What's the artist statement of doing wedding photography? I'm just going on, on assignment essentially for an event. Yeah. Um, and so I'd love for you to unpack, uh, this concept of an artist statement and how that even fits into, uh, an event photographer, a portrait photographer, if you're doing right. babies or seniors, uh, the value of that. 
Yeah, well, it comes back to this point of differentiation. And that is that, and again, that's a point that David Breyer makes over and over again in his, uh, in his book. Here's the thing. You're mentioning genres of photography, wedding photography, portraiture, sports. Okay, that's like this huge category. And mm-hmm. how many comp- uh, competitors are there within that, with each, within each one of those categories? Something has to differentiate you. And again, I think looking at it from the point of view of 2017, how do people find you? Well, hopefully they find you through word of mouth. That would be fantastic. But probably most of them are going to be searching. You know, they're going to be going to the web and saying, okay, we're, we're getting married in Charlotte, or we're going to get married in Carmel. And let's, uh, you know, I'm not going to fly somebody across country, so I need to find a local photographer that I think will really do a great job for us. Mm-hmm. So I'm coming to Carmel. Let's just hypothetically say, I'm, you know, we're getting married in Carmel. I live on the other coast. And so I'm flying out 3,000 miles to get this wet, beautiful wedding done. I'm spending a lot of money. I'm flying in friends, friends and family. And I need a photographer that will really do it justice. So how do I find that photographer? Well, I, you know, I search and I look at their work. And I think along with the work, which is the primary thing, if they have an artist statement or a mission statement or however you want to uh, word that, it really kind of doesn't matter, but some sort of statement from them, what their philosophy is, how they go about capturing a shoot, and it resonates with you, that's definitely helping your selection process. Mm-hmm. And I think that's it's an additional tool to help your potential client say yes. I mean, really, that's what an artist statement should be. It's just a a tool to help them say whether it's an, yes, I want to use this artist in my exhibition, or yes, I want want to hire them to do my children's portraits or whatever. There's something that in your statement should resonate genuinely. You're not making this up. I mean, it really is how you are. That's an additional tool that makes the, the process of them selecting you easier. Does that make sense? hundred percent it does. And this is why I, I'm constantly harping on uh, the value of copy on your website, on yeah. your homepage, that your, that your homepage of your website should not just be boiled down to a few large images that I, I see great, great value and importance in carefully crafted, uh, crafted copywriting that yep. explains your why, that explains your artist statement and gives you the ability to connect and resonate uh, and provide value to your potential clients outside of just your hopefully stunning images, right? Exactly. And, and testimonials, as, as we talked about, are extremely powerful because we all kind of want that, that third-party verification. That's social proof, yeah. That's why we like you know Amazon and Yelp and that sort of thing because we can get feedback from people that, you know, we think are kind of like us. And that, that really helps make that decision easier. Yeah, totally agree. Um, Mark, so you've got, you started to think through, uh, that, that meaningful difference, that thing that separates you, you've started to to consider, uh, um, what other people have to say, aligning it, you're developing an artist statement. And so, um, you know, where do you go with this next? How do you then leverage, how do you leverage this to actually get your work seen by others? 
You know, it, that's where it just becomes, uh, I, I mean, I could give, obviously there's, there's a list of things I could, I could tell you and some tips I've gotten from some of the pros I've worked with. Um, one of them is uh, from Chase Jarvis, uh, who was one of the very first interviews I did back in 2008 that really launched, launched my show back then. And now, of course, he's the CEO of Creative Live, which is incredibly successful. Chase uh, made one tip, which I think is really important, and I put it in the book. Have a portfolio together that is 10 of your best photographs. And just focus on getting a portrait, uh, or I'm sorry, a portfolio together with 10 of your best photographs. Now that 10 can keep changing it, which is fine. As you, as you find you get a better one, take one of them out. But you should have that portfolio together that you could show potential clients. And those are just your 10 killer photographs. Don't, don't try to get 50 or 100. You don't need 50 or 100. People will just get overwhelmed by then. Um, one of my early exhibitions before I'd actually talked to Chase, I put together a portfolio like this and, you know, I, I had to win over the gallery manager cause they're curating and they need to select what they think will not only, uh, resonate with the viewers, but also they've got to sell work. So they want work that they feel will actually fit their clientele and their gallery. And so I remember going to her, this was one of those moments, you know, there's a moment (laughs) in your life that you can look back on where things really changed. Um, If you, I love this scene in, in uh, Oliver Stone's one of my favorite directors and the first Wall Street uh, with Charlie Sheehan and, and, and Michael Douglas, Michael Douglas plays this sort of bad guy on wall street. And Charlie Sheehan is this young stockbroker who's trying to get in with the big dude. And he just hustles and sends this guy messages every single day. And finally he, he goes there, it's his birthday and he brings him a box of Cuban cigars you know, I, I'm bringing this up for a reason because it, it is a hustle world. You do, you do have to get in front of people and you have to f- be clever about it. So Charlie Sheehan has used this. Uh, uh, he's used this means by of getting in front of Gordon Gecko, and they finally grant him this short little interview with him, a five minute interview. You know, and Charlie goes over to the mirror and he's straightening his tie and he says, "Life comes down to a few moments," and. Uh, this was one of those moments where the gallery uh, curator, director, looked over my work. She said, um, I'm going to set it down for a while and go about my business and come back to it in a, in a few minutes after I've kind of settled through this. And she did that, and she said, okay, let's do it. Hmm. Wow. I mean, I, talk about one of those moments. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, I can tell you story after story of how, in fact, let me tell you another story. This was, this was a, this was a big, huge project that I did with the New York Stock Exchange that I mentioned a moment ago. 
And, uh, and, and this is kind of an illustration of what it takes, I think, to get your work out there. So I, uh, <laughs> I had been developing a storyline with them to shoot a series of episodes with these, with these uh, notable CEOs. And it was going along fairly well. And all of a sudden, I hit that point that all of us dread where the emails were no longer being responded to. <laughs> The calls were not being returned. I mean, come on, we all know what that feels like. And you get that kind of sinking feeling that you're losing the, you know, the the ship is sailing off and you are not on it. So fortunately, and I, this was the same shoot I mentioned a moment ago. I was on Wall Street uh, a day ahead of time getting ready for this other shoot with the CEO and where am I? I'm right in front of the New York Stock Exchange, which is the heart of Wall Street. So I figure, hey, I'm going to go see if I can meet up with this. He was the director of marketing. Uh, and I go, of course, there's heavy security there. They have outside security. And then once you pass the outside security, there's inside security. So I just got as far as the outside security. I... Uh, say, hey, I'm here to see, you know, so-and-so. Do you have an appointment? No, actually, I don't. Well, we'll try to get a hold of him. And, you know, they don't reach him, so they they leave him a voicemail. Well, come on. What do we think is going to happen at that point? I've left a voicemail. I'm just one, you know, one more call in his million-call day or whatever. So I decide to go off to the Museum of Modern Art. I go back to my hotel, which is close by. I, I get out of my suit, get into my jeans, start you know, walking towards the Museum of uh, Modern Art. The phone rings. Hey, Mark, did we have an appointment? <laughs> and I said, actually, we didn't. But believe it or not, literally, I am right in your neighborhood. Wow. Okay. Um, can we meet in 10 minutes? Sure. Okay, here I am. I'm 10 minutes. I'm like five minutes away back to my hotel. I'm in jeans. You don't wear jeans to a meeting in New York. This isn't Silicon Valley. I run back to my hotel room. I switch back into my suit. I'm running, jogging, but trying not to get too sweaty inside my suit, you know. And I make it back. I get through the outside security. I get to the inside security, and there he is. He takes me up to his office. And he says, okay, here's, we're interested. Give us the pitch. And again, boy, I wasn't really prepared for this. You know, I'm, I'm running around and I wasn't, you know, I was just kind of trying to see if I could open the door, but I give him the pitch. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, I so much admire your entrepreneurial spirit, but we're going to do it. Mm. And that was it. That's what closed him. I showed up. And I, I made it happen. I made it go right to get through all these barriers and gatekeepers and managed to get into his office and give him the pitch. And he said, yes. Love it. I think it was Woody Allen that said, you know, 90% of life is showing up. And, you know, it really kind of comes down to you got to show up. So put your sights on wherever you want to go. Show up. That's going to differentiate you right there. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they people see, okay, this guy's willing, this gal's willing to cut through all these barriers and, and make it happen. Show up. 
hundred percent. Yeah. You have so many amazing stories. You've, there's so much depth and I know you unpack so many more in your book. I just wanted to thank you for taking time to share all this, to share all this insight, your experience, uh, your passion for photography and craft. Uh, and, uh, I just, yeah, thank you so much for this time. You're welcome. Where can people find you? Where can they see your work? I'm going to have obviously some links in the show notes. And so where, where can I be linking out to? And as well, where can people uh, get your book? Yeah. So the book, by the way, has, uh, some of these stories are in there and it's really, I try to write a complete handbook of photography from that first moment of visualization all the way through some of the things we've been talking about getting your work out there. And it's called advancing your photography. You can just Google that advancing your photography. It will come up on Amazon. And you can certainly buy it there. It's it's available in many other locations. It's available at B&H, Barnes & Noble, most of the big retailers. But that's the easiest way to find it. Google Advancing Your Photography. Uh, to find me and my site uh, on YouTube, you can simply type in Mark Silber, M-A-R-C-S-I-L-B-E-R, and you'll get my YouTube channel. Uh the, my main website is silberstudios.com. Make sure you, sell, you spell that with a B like boy, S-I-L-B-E-R, studios. And Instagram is my name, Mark Silber. Nice. Mark, thank you so much for being here again. Uh, this has been, this has been a real treat. It's not, uh, often that we have the opportunity to hear, um, such great stories and context behind it all. Uh, and so thank you. You're welcome, Ben. And, uh, very happy to, to help my, I, I, you know, I try to make myself available through events and answer people's questions and emails and that sort of thing. So if somebody has a specific question, they can fire away and I'll get back with them. Nice. That'd be great. You can probably leave a comment down in the show notes there as well. And, uh, I can, if, if Mark doesn't catch it, I can always push it on over to him. Thanks again, man. You bet. Uh, on today's episode, Mark has just so much knowledge, so much to give. I think for us to be constantly looking for for things that we can do to really stand out, like it's an ever-changing thing. This market is rapidly changing, rapidly evolving, rapidly growing. And so we just have to truly keep an eye on on. What is it that we need to do uh, to, to gain potential new clients? How do we need to change? How do we need to grow? How do we stand out? Um, you guys, before I let you go, uh, I want to invite you to continue to grow your business, uh, to not just let it happen here on the podcast, to take truly actionable steps uh, to do this. And so I've put together a free course for you guys. And I got to tell you, it is legit. All the feedback that I've gotten is just like, wow, this has been so good. And it is 100% free. It's there for you guys. Um, I put this together. It is a seven-day crash course. Each seven-day crash course. Uh, each day, I just kind of tackle a new aspect of your business and kind of turn it on its head and, and really push in a direction to help you reevaluate what it is that you're up to. And so go ahead and check this out. Uh, you can sign up for it at sixfigurephotography.com uh, forward slash seven day crash course. I'll get a link down below for you guys. But please do yourself a favor. Go do it. It's free. It's really dope. And now is the time uh, to be looking at opportunities to change, looking at opportunities to grow your business and to move this thing forward. You guys, I will see you on the next episode of the Six Figure Photography Podcast. Cheers, everybody.